0: Listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life and the power of God's grace and share his life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Nice to see you guys all this morning. Um, I confess I have probably what they call what's next syndrome. And what I mean by that is that you, you go through life and there's some, some big mile markers of things that you think about and, and uh, moments of things that happen in life, and, and then those things kind of come and go, and you think to yourself, well, well, what's next, right? What's the next thing that we're going to be about, give our hearts and minds to? And, and I, I confess I felt that way with the sermon series that we just went through. We just went through a... Uh, amazing uh, series where we were able to combine worship as well as um, the preaching of the word and just understanding how God changed people's lives. And and, uh, for me, it was one of those places where I felt really refreshed and refilled. Um, And so as we were thinking as a staff, well, what's next? Like, where, where do you go after something like that? You know what happens after you look at these people and even our lives who who have been changed by encounters with Jesus? He's he's entered into our life. There's areas of experiences and change and changing that he's doing. What what's next? And that's why this sermon series comes in. Is that change is not just for change's sake? So we don't just look and think, okay, God has touched my life and changed me in a specific way. That's great. I'm I'm all set. Right? The, the change is bigger than us. There's, there's more to it than just our own personal transformation. That, that God has called us to, to be uh, engaged in the world around us, to be engaged in relationships amongst us. There, there are things that are about our life that because we've encountered the life transforming, rescuing power of Christ, there are aspects of our life that are different. And so, because we've been changed, what now? Well, engaged, right? There's in areas where we're now moving thoughtfully, biblically, and through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to engage in those things around us. And if you saw the sermon bumper, there are certainly some uh, maybe easier topics than others. Well, engaged in prayer, okay, I can see why it's good to engage in prayer, which we're going to be talking about today, engaged in community, engaged in evangelism and missions in the world, and then, as you can see, gearing up for the... Uh, midterm elections, surprisingly, we're going to tackle what it means to be engaged in a divisive political environment as Christians. (laughs) You can't wait. Like either everybody will be in church or nobody will be in church on that Sunday. But nonetheless, there's a sense in which what we want to do is be thoughtful biblically about the spaces that the Lord is is moving us so that we're intentionally engaged in the things of God. Now here's, I want to give a bit of a Caveat to that is that I don't want this engaged component To say, okay, because I've been changed by Jesus, these are the things that I'm going to do for him as though somehow I'm his employee. Like I'm going to do these things to earn more favor, to do the right. It's a level of intimacy and relational connection that the Lord moves us to these things as he's working in our life. So our motivation biblically and and, uh, faithfully is to allow the work of the spirit to draw us to these things. And we want to highlight those areas that we're certain, biblically, the Lord is going to call us to. So this morning, we're going to jump into the topic of prayer. All of us, at one time or another, I think, have prayed. (laughs) We've asked God for specific things. They've been motivated by a whole host of desires and longings, some good, some maybe more selfish than anything else. But all of us have drawn ourselves into that places of saying, okay, If God listens, then I'm going to talk to God about specific things in hopes that as he listens to the very things that I desire, that somehow in some way, the very things that I desire will come to fruition because God gives me these things. And we even have scripture that backs a lot of that stuff up where we think to ourselves, God gives us the desires of our heart, and we think about good things to pray for and, and perspectives to have. And yet, and yet I think, at least in, in my own heart, there's times where I guess if I'm being honest, I wonder if prayer really works, right? That there are things that I have prayed for that seem good, seem godly, solid biblical truth as to what it meant to pray for these things. It didn't feel at that moment selfish. And the very thing that I prayed for was actually what didn't happen. Kind of the worst case scenario of those environments were, were really the outcome. And so I wonder did in my flesh that matter at all? I could have gotten this outcome and not uttered a word. I could have not talked to God about these very desires that I have that seem biblical and good, even on my best days. I could have said nothing to God and got this very outcome. (laughs) That's where we find ourselves wrestling because our emotions and feelings betray reality on a frequent basis and so we then assume that what we think and feel with the world around us is actually an accurate view of reality when in reality God's the one that's directing what that accuracy and clarity is. And so when we would think about, and if I ask you to define what prayer is or what you would hope prayer to be, there'd likely be a whole host of answers, not the least of which, well, it's talking to God about things that are important and significant to you and to me. Fair enough. I would agree with that. But yet, what does it look like as we think about the areas of what God calls us to as we think about prayer? How do we have access to God? What does it mean to experience that relationship? What's the ultimate result of why God asks us to pray? Seems like a pertinent question as we move to the fact that we've been changed by the life-transforming, rescuing power of grace, engaged in prayer. That seems like a great place to start. So let's do it. Let's allow the word to direct those things. We're gonna move to Luke chapter 11. And probably the go-to place that you would talk about prayer. Now there's the, the entire book of Psalms is a, is a host of prayers of people pleading with God about things or wrestling with ups and downs about life and uncertainty and all of these different categories. Like God's people have prayed numerous times through the Old and the New Testament. There's consistent prayer for Elders are praying. We even walk through the series on James where it says, cast your cares on, um, and, and confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. People pray for a whole host of reasons and a whole host of circumstances. But the disciples that we're going to get a, a window in, a picture in, have been with Jesus likely for a couple of years. They have learned from his ministry in numerous different ways. Miracles have been seen lives have been changed. There's been elements of what it meant to be a follower of Christ over those two years that have have been transformative in their life. Then Luke chapter 11 shows up, and here's the question that they ask. It says in verse one, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray or teach us to pray. And John, as as John taught his disciples, and he said to them, probably the most familiar prayer in the scriptures, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Uh, give us uh, each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him? And he will answer from within, Do not bother me; the door is now shut. For my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse eight, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because is, uh, he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks asks, Receives, And the one who uh, seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who who ask him. Interesting, as you think about the disciples' interaction with Christ and the ups and downs of their experience and all the things that they had been taught and learned after a few years of walking with Jesus, the request of them is to teach them to to pray. How should we think about or conceptualize or even understand what it means to pray, to have a conversation with the Father of the universe, the creator and fashioner of the entire world, what does it look like to actually carry out prayer and communication with this God? Jesus is very clear and pragmatic, and I'll I'll walk through, I think, the very essence of what he's saying uh, about prayer, but he, it's, it's interesting how the, the framework goes. So it, it starts with God, it moves to us, and then it goes back to God. And there are unique elements of, of how the rhythm of what Jesus taught in terms of how we consider what prayer looks like that I think are essential for us. But here's one thing I want to guard your heart against. This prayer is not a formula. <laughs> so It's not as though if you say these things in the right way, you will get what you want. Right? The, the goal is not the gift. The goal is intimacy with the giver. Let me say that again. The goal is not the gift. The goal is intimacy with the giver. That's the end goal of this relational communication. What happens so often, we think about prayers, we think about a transaction. I do this. I say this. I do it the right way. I ask the right things. And then God is obligated to respond to those things in a way that meets the very things that I deeply desire. You know who's driving the bus in that prayer? I am. (laughs) My needs, my feelings, my desires, which we know based on the human condition are broken. Like I know that my feelings aren't reliable and they're not the best gauge of God's goodness. That doesn't mean they're not there and that they're not influencing those things, but the goal in the midst of prayer is ultimately deeper relationship with the Father. Warren Buffett, one of the most greatest investors of, of our day, uh, is said at one time to be one of the richest men in the world, a net worth of over forty-four billion dollars. Two thousand five, he was raising money for a charity, and he decided to auction off a lunch with him. So somehow, in some way, if you're able to, to pay enough money, you'll be able to have access to Warren Buffett for an hour, an hour and a half lunch time. And people began to bid. The winning bid was three hundred and fifty-one thousand dollars three hundred and fifty-one thousand one hundred dollars. I almost got that right, was the price of access to having lunch with Warren Buffett. I think to yourself I mean, I don't, I don't think I'd ever pay. I don't, I'll never see that much money. But at the end of the day, you think, okay, obviously, when you think about how important he might be in the business world and that, that somebody would pay to have access to him, that it was significant enough for you to invest all this money so that he could impart some sort of wisdom so that you'll recoup that money back. But you had to pay for access. I think that's true for a lot of different people that we know. In the world and in celebrities, you've got to pay for access into their uh, sphere of influence. What's, what's important, you have to find some way to be involved in their life. You just don't have free access to them. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that that's part of what Jesus is talking about here, too. That access to the Father is also limited, but the price has been paid by His Son. So, the guarantee of access to the father comes through a relationship with jesus christ that sin separates us from god and in Understanding truth and faith and what it means to be in a relationship with Christ, we have now been given access to the God of the universe who now listens and attends. That we have, Hebrews tells us, right, approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy and your help in your time of need. Like now, there is no longer any obstacle that exists because of faith in Jesus Christ to, to limit our access to God whenever, wherever, at any time, we have the ability to encounter the relationship and the work of the Father on our behalf. And so Jesus begins to teach them how to pray. It's interesting how he starts. Father, Father. A a, a word used to identify a type of relationship that frames how we understand what prayer truly is. He the, the teaching in the midst of prayer is one that begins at the very outset to be one about relationship, one in which we have access to God, creator, sovereign, providential, authoritative, has the ability and the resources to do whatever he wants to do, and the prayer of the teaching of the disciples of what it means to pray is to access God as father. There's something very special about that, and I think what he's going to do is spell that out later in this text of understanding what the fatherhood of God looks like. But just at the very beginning, here's what is so essential. You have a father who loves you and wants to hear from you, and so even as we think about understanding prayer as a whole, we're understanding prayer relationally, not transactionally. We're not coming to God as benevolent dictator or Santa Claus of the universe or dispenser of good gifts. We're coming to God as father who wants to hear from his children. You notice something else about this text, which is incredibly unique, is that this text communicates very clearly that you are not an only child. (laughs) Did you see this? Every aspect of this text is plural. Forgive us. Give us our daily bread. There's a communal reality where it's not just me and God or me and Jesus. There's a fullness of those in which those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ are considered children of God. And so you are not an only child where the attention or the work of what God is doing is just about you and your needs or me and my needs. That somehow in the midst of prayer, what we're realizing is a larger scope of the work of God amongst one another. That's why we pray for each other. That's why we do life together with one another. There's a realization that is I am praying for you, you're praying for me, as I'm seeing God meet you in your prayer life, and He's changing and doing incredible things and bearing fruit in your life. It encourages my faith to see the God and His fathership over me and loving me in ways that are just absolutely essential. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your name is sacred. It becomes a place where we're, as we're learning to pray, what we're realizing as Jesus is teaching his disciples is the most important thing in prayer is the relationship with the Father. It's not just about the outcome or the gift or the actual response of what happens in the midst of prayer. It's the fact that we are able to come and experience the fatherhood of God in such a way that our intimacy is grown let me suggest to you in this first sentence, when Jesus teaches them how to pray, that prayer exposes the very limits of our ability. That we pray, we come to God with a recognition that we have a need we can't meet, (laughs) a circumstance that we can't figure out, a challenge or an uncertainty that lays before us that we're not sure what to do. We pray for wisdom. We pray for hope. We pray for restoration of relationships. We pray for people we love to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray for specific things because what we end up realizing is we don't actually have the ability to meet the very needs we desire. We have a need. Of course we do, because we were created as limited beings that don't have the ability to figure out life in and of themselves. God did not save us and then set us out to say, good luck. Hope it goes well. I'll let you know how it all ends. It's a consistent relational reality of what it means to engage in a connection with the father. And in so doing, the very first application is that I come to the father because I know that I don't have the ability to change or transform the very things that I face. I come relationally because I know that he does. I don't go to a banker for construction advice, (laughs) right? I don't go to a plumber to fix my car. I, I don't go to any of those places to hope that somehow in some way that maybe God doesn't have the ability to do the very things that he has the ability to do. God is not without resources to do everything and carry out his plan in all of our lives. I go to Jesus, I go to God, I go to the Father because I know relationally, physically. He has everything that I need in the context of what comes next. If we, prayer exposes the the very limits of our ability. And so I think what's critical as we think about those things as he unfolds or teases out the rest of this. Here's what he says. Not only am I united with the Father, but here's what begins to be a part of the prayer. Your kingdom come. So, again, now not only are we praying to the Father relationally, but now we're beginning to understand that as these things begin to unfold, we're actually desiring that the program that God has set forth in this world will come to fruition. We're asking the actual very things that God has planned in heaven and the work that he's doing to be realized here on the earth, that God is doing and operating in significant ways. So, prayer at its core is about our walk with Christ, what it means to trust and seek God among all things, that we aren't the best developers of the plan of our lives, the actual how the world functions and the things that we would like to see happen. And it's going to be part of how we even understand what it looks like to to engage in evangelism and to engage in community, and specifically even to engage in, in the political conversation that will be upcoming and has been going on for a long time. Like We've prayed for specific things. Some have happened. Some haven't. We wonder what God's doing. We wonder what our role is in those things. We wonder if God has abandoned this place or that place. But at the end of the day, what we're ultimately playing for is that God's kingdom will come. That God is at work in such a way that the world would realize the life-transforming power of the gospel and be changed. And yet, often, our hearts are motivated by other things. We want specific outcomes to specific situations, and whether or not that means somebody coming to faith in Jesus Christ becomes secondary. And so what what he's really moving us to is to saying that we, we want the work of God, the work of heaven to be realized in history, that God is marching this world to a conclusion. And that conclusion is God brings everything in his plan to a consummation where he is seen for who he is, right? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but But that's often, in the midst of our prayer, not always the motivation. When we see God as being sacred and the most significant thing, then every prayer we ever pray is answered. Not the way we want, but God answers it with himself. Deeper intimacy, a level of trust, a level of understanding that God has never turned a deaf ear or a blind eye to the cries of his people. So then he moves it to us. Verse three, give us each day our daily bread. Give us, unashamedly corporate, each day our daily bread. There's a sense in which as we think about prayer, often prayer is so fixated on future desires or future things that might or might not happen. And so what we're desiring is to shape specific outcomes of how things could change in the future. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for those things. We pray for, I pray for people in my family to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's not a, that's not a present reality. It's a future one. I pray that, that God would work in the midst of all of those that need reconciliation in the context of their marriages and, and other relationships that are fractured. I've I've prayed to pass a test before, and that's a future thing, right? And we've prayed for all of these things. But, but the reality of what God is telling the disciples, Jesus is telling the disciples to do, is to, to pray that the daily provision of God is enough for what you need right now. I mean, it has Exodus, Exodus. Um, Foreshadowed this, this understanding of what it means to, to be provided for by God on a daily basis. And as they were wandering in the wilderness, they, they couldn't pick up more than they needed for the moment, except for the, uh, just before the Sabbath, that, that what we're saying is that the current provision of God in the midst of the challenges that you and I face, that God is giving us what we need in the moment, that, that not fixating on fully future things, but trusting the provision of God here and now. For today, Give us this day our daily bread. See, because I think God's, I think what prayer is ultimately is it unites us with God's unfolding program. That certainly God has a plan for his kingdom. God has a plan for the future. But presently, God has a plan for you and for me. And as we pray, we're tapping into the reality of what that means. And then he gives us the sense of self-analysis. He says, and forgive us, our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I wonder if the disciples at this moment said, I kind of wish I hadn't asked. (laughs) Like teach us to pray, but I didn't know you were going to go there. Because look what it does. Like As we think about the reality of engaging in prayer, we're we're communicating with the Father in the midst of relationship that we could be considered his children through faith in Christ and what that means to be in relational intimacy. But then it also requires of us not only trusting that God is providing for us what we need here in this moment, but then secondarily, every time we come, every time we pray, you know what we come as? Those who've sinned. (laughs) There's not one of us that somehow has said the right thing, achieved enough, moved and been sanctified enough that we come as those who aren't in desperate need of his grace every day and every moment. So there's a forgive us of our sins. And in the process of doing, the analysis is not to say, Well, if if I don't forgive others, then God's not going to forgive me or that I don't have that depth of relationship and so I shouldn't come. What he's saying is that as we recognize a relationship with the Father and we understand the the challenges and the sins that we've committed, an awareness begins to bud. And that awareness is, is that those who've sinned against me and those I've sinned against and the struggles that I face in those things are also in desperate need of forgiveness that I wanna move towards others the way Christ has moved towards me, that I want the ability that I don't have in and of myself to extend forgiveness for the wounding and hurt that I've felt by others and those that I have hurt and offended as well in relationship to the reality of the gospel, that if my relationship with the Father is primary, then what it means is it moves me towards others who have sinned. If I see my sin accurately, as in need of forgiveness from the Father. And that also means that I can see other relationships and extend forgiveness for the hurt that's been done. So prayer unites us with God's unfolding program, and then prayer longs for provision of God's family. So I I think that the hopelessly or recklessly or even unashamedly uh, corporateness of this prayer is that there's a sense in which God is communicating to us as a faith family that we are corporately a part of these things, that we are praying for one another and with one another to the Father, that we are connected in that relationship and that that relationship is primary. But then I think he moves to help us understand the character of God in the midst of those things. So let me just finish with some of these realities that he unfolds at the end of this text. Because often when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we just stop at verse four. But the teaching of how to pray Extends. Jesus doesn't take a pause and say, Are there any questions? He continues on to communicate what this means. And, and what he does is he does it in a way of helping us understand the character of God. And so when we come to the Father and we realize that his name is sacred and a priority, he says, Which of you would have a friend? And your friend in the middle of the night has some guests come over and, and they're in this deep need. So they start to bang on your door. And you say, uh, Leave me alone. I'm too busy. I don't want to help. There's just too much going on. I think I'm out. Uh, go find someone else. And yet, why he says that is that's the very attitude that I think we can have in sometimes aspects of our prayer life. God's too busy. I've prayed too much. He's got too much going on that to continue to ask for these things seems foolish i've asked a million times and nothing has changed i don't know what else to do and so maybe god just has other things that are more important he said that that's a that's a misunderstanding of the character of god because what he says is anyone who asks finds anyone who seeks finds anyone who knocks the door's going to be open like god is not going to tell you Go away. There's just too much going on. I'm too busy. Like the door, the knocking, the prayer, he wants to hear from his kids no matter what. And so as we move to those things, there's never a moment where prayer is not the first option. It's a good thing to always go to God in the challenges of. Life and the things that and the desires that we have, God is not going to shun us or push us away. He's saying the door is always open, and so as we knock, he says in verse ten, "For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open." And then he he moves to a, an understanding of the fatherhood of God in verse eleven. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? What in God's name is he talking about here? Here's what I think is so critical, because I think so often this is where our prayer life, my prayer life, let me just say, really struggles. So he gives a characteristic of God and says, all right, how often would you say that you've prayed and you've gotten the very opposite thing that you wanted that you prayed for? And you've said, God, what possibly could you be doing? This doesn't make any sense. It seems like you're, you're punishing me or you're, you're just trying to do something. You're trying to teach me some lesson. You're trying to, something's wrong, something's off. But, but I just can't understand why you would allow the things to happen that have happened. I don't even have any clue of what you're doing. And so now I find myself discouraged and disappointed in my relationship with God. I've prayed. I've prayed for good things. I've prayed for right things. And I, I get wrong things and bad things. Life gets harder and rougher. He so said, don't you know the character of God? The character of God is such that he's, any father whose kid comes to him and asks for something would not give him the very opposite just to teach him a lesson, <laughs> just to be like, let's see if you can figure this one out. That's not who God is. God isn't the one that if you ask for a fish he gives you a serpent. That if you ask for the the very thing that is so near and dear to your heart, the very desires that you have that seem good, godly and biblical, that he's just going to see in some way if you can deal with the very opposite that he's doing like God's some sort of transactional god that's just trying to prove to you that he's in control and you're not. That's not the God of the scriptures. The reality of what he's saying is that the very things that you're asking for are leading you to the very place that you need to be, which is in deep, abiding intimacy with the God of the universe. That you have value and significant, and the work that the Lord is doing is a part of drawing you into this relationship with himself so that what is most valuable is him. That he's not giving you a serpent. He's not somehow giving you the very opposite of what you're asking for. How do we know that? Because it already told us that he gave you himself. Like the God of the universe gave you himself. Just to be in relationship with God is of utmost priority and utmost importance. There is no greater gift and no greater value that he could give. So when we knock, knock. When we're praying, pray. Seek his face and long for him to continue to work in your life. But as you pray and you see those things, God will show you stuff about yourself and about myself that he's in the process of changing. He will draw us to himself and allow intimacy to be the result that there'll be a level of belief and trust that God's provision, the work of his kingdom is going to come to fruition. And we can trust his perfect plan that he's working in ways beyond what we can see. But the most important priority in prayer is realizing that the relationship with the Father matters more than anything else. He's drawing us to himself. I'll finish with this. William Barclay says it this way. We are not wringing gifts from an unwilling God, but going to the one who knows our needs better than we know them ourselves, whose heart towards us is the heart of generous love. If we do not receive what we pray for, it is not as because God is grudgingly refuses to give it, but because he has something better. He has something better for us. There are no such things as unanswered prayers. The answer given may not be the answer we desired or expected, but even when it is a refusal, it is the answer of love and the wisdom of God. I think that's challenging, but I do realize that if it's true, that as I come to prayer, my own heart needs to be changed and transformed, that it's it's very brokenness, that I realize my own sin, that I need God's daily provision, that I need to be able to not only see God's forgiveness, but forgive those around me, that there's a change that's taking place, but that God lovingly and longingly wants to hear from his people. So pray, pray often, pray authentically. Ask God for the very things that are near and dear to your heart and open yourself up that in the process of those things, the affections and what you deeply desire might actually change. Or God will provide for those very things that you deeply want. But pray persistently, consistently. Know that God is seeking and desiring to hear from his kids and knowing that he's working because he loves you and he's responding to you in generous love. Let's pray.